So most people know you for your you know great work as a writer covering uh, baseball for ESPN. Can you just kind of talk about that and how you kind of got started with that? I was in journalism for almost 25 years before I went to ESPN. Back when I started in 1980, you know, you went through the, the ranks of smaller papers and you just worked your way up through newspapers. So that was the way I did the bulk of my career. Um, and then in early 2000, I worked in a few different jobs. I was working at Bloomberg, the news service, for several years, and I wanted to write a book. I wound up writing a book called License to Deal, and I, I did that. And in between, I, I took a leave from, I left Bloomberg, actually, to concentrate on the book, and I went to work for ESPN, writing for their insider section, you know, back then. And when I finished my book, that's when I started with ESPN full-time. So I think it was 2004, about 12 years ago, that I actually went to ESPN on a full-time basis. What are some of your most memorable moments from throughout your career? I think a lot of it is just being in the seat for certain events and, you know, baseball history that you know you're listening to or watching and you say, people are going to remember this and look back on this decades from now, you know, and uh, so I had quite a few, you know, when I was in Portland, Maine, I was, I did the Red Sox in the World Series, so I wound up being in the right field auxiliary press box when the ball went through Bill Buckner's legs, which was pretty, pretty amazing, I mean, I can remember that like it was yesterday watching that. In 1988, you know, I was covering the World Series when Kirk Gibson hit his home run off deck amazing moment I've seen in all my years, you know, just from a place thinking that this guy's going to be lucky to file a pitch off to him hitting a ball into the seat off Dennis Eckersley. The strange thing about that was that it was on a Saturday, I'm pretty sure, and we didn't have a Sunday paper at the Cincinnati Post, (laughs) so I was there, but I had no paper to write, so I had to wound up writing about it sort of the next day, and they already played another game, I, I think. So uh, that was, you know, pretty strange. But I was, yeah, in 1989, I was there for the earthquake in San Francisco, covering that, and they took a whole week to get back to it. That was, went beyond baseball, it was sort of a human drama. Covered the whole Pete Rose and Mark Schott stuff, which was crazy. Saw, you know, through the steroid era, and was there with Mark McGuire. Hit a 60-second home run to break Roger Maris's record. I was there for Joe Carter's home run in the World Series. So, yeah, I've seen a lot of amazing stuff, mostly in the postseason, but, you know, some strange things in the regular season, too. Covering the Reds as a beat writer, what was it like covering the teams from the 80s and 90s with the Reds, uh, you know, Marge Shot, Pete Rose? It was really an amazing first beat to get onto because back then in the late 80s and early 90s Cincinnati was kind of the center of the baseball universe for a couple of years you know when the road stuff was going on it was a vigil all season and it was a different time then but we had a lot of uh, all the national news shows with all season and you know just covering Pete day in and day out and 
seeing him deal with his ordeal and and then Murs was always kind of a wild card in the equation. You never knew what she was going to do. That was pretty crazy. And, you know, I also covered the team in 90 when Pinella was the manager and the Nasty Boys were there and they went wire to wire and won the World Series. So, kind of from the sublime to the ridiculous. You know, he covered some stuff that was pretty crazy and, and you couldn't make up. And then you really got to cover some pretty exciting and fun baseball, too. Can you kind of talk about a day in the life? Uh, how do you go about your articles, or how many do you look to get done a week or, or on a daily basis per day? Well, it's really kind of seasonal. You know, during the season, you don't have to follow the news as much. Now, in the off season, there's a lot of texting and calling, emailing front office people and agents, trying to keep tabs on the news. You know, maybe instant reactions to signings and things like that that happen. Fairly unpredictable, you know, because stuff can drop into your lap very quickly. During the season, it really depends. In, in spring training, I'll be there, and I might try to write something every single day or five or six days a week and hit a lot of camp. Uh, during the season, you have time to take a step back, and maybe you might be working on one bigger story and take several days on that. So it, there's really no set schedule or agenda. I work out of my house, so, uh, you know, I'll get up in the morning and maybe read other stories and, and go online and sort of look around, try to get ideas. If the Phillies are home, you know, I'll go down to Philadelphia to the games probably 30 to 40 times a season. Sometimes I'll pop up to New York or down to Baltimore or Washington. It really just kind of depends on what's on the radar, you know. That's the one thing I really like about the job is there's no set schedule and you can kind of make your own schedule. As far as someone in your career and where you you know where you are now being a prominent writer, are you able to come up with your own stories or do you ever have to push your idea across someone else first or how does that kind of work? Yeah, there is quite a bit of that actually. You know, I think we try to come up with ideas maybe that just aren't knee-jerk and the same ideas that everybody, you know, let's do a story on this guy who's hot. Try to differentiate yourself and maybe come up with an angle that's a little bit different. So there are times when you can just do things, you know, pretty easily, and then there are times when you're involved with editors more trying to shape the story, and you know, you might send them a, a story, a version of it, and they might edit it and send it back to you, and you rework it, that sort of thing. So it really just kind of depends on the story and the individual case by case situation. Now, I'm sure you've come across some invaluable lessons from throughout your time as a writer. Can you kind of talk about maybe the good or bad etiquette that you've seen and what others maybe who aspire to be like you should or should not do? Well, I just think now there's a mindset among younger writers who think that emailing and, and texting and calling front office people and saying, hey, you know, will you be my source kind of thing. I hear that sometimes, you know, I'll say, Young kids will get in touch with front office people or whatever and say, hey, can you be my source, you know, for things? And it doesn't really work that way. I mean, to me, sources are built up through time and trust and, you know, familiarity. A lot of times you might get to know somebody just by talking about all kinds of things. And, you know, there's also a sense now, I think, of going on Twitter and, and throwing out rumors and being the first to a signing and, 
you know, getting the terms of a signing and there's kind of an obsession with that now. And I think some of us who've been in the business don't really think of that as the most gratifying part of journalism. The most gratifying part is trying to do a good story or, or report a thing that, you know, looked within the industry is valuable. You know, I, I think a lot of front office people don't really care who gets the, you know, the scoop 30 seconds before somebody else. But if you can write a story about a trend or something that shed new light on it, I, I think that's more enduring than just trying to go out and get these little mini scoops that really become old news within an hour after they're reported. Yeah, I was at the uh, winter meetings last year, and I kind of took note of how when a journalist, such as, a, you know, whether it was yourself, Buster Olney, Tanner Rosenthal, would report or would put out a tweet, for instance, about a signing, they would always give the credit to who might have, you know, scooped it first. And I just thought it was kind of, uh, kind of a cool way, you know, recognize all the writers themselves as far as kind of who came up with that source first. I'm sure with the winter meetings last week, um, you were definitely busy during that time as well. Yeah, you know, and look, I there are guys who I know get more of these than I do, but you know they work really hard at it. And I think the value of that stuff is not quite as much as it used to be because within fifteen minutes, everybody pretty much has it. So it's great, you know, for recognition within the industry. But I don't know if the average fan cares that much. I think the average fan cares more about what does this mean to my team? Where, where's this guy going to hit the order? What does this mean to the payroll? Or what move comes next because of this? Or what's the mindset in the front office? You know, that, that, the fan even, I think that's the stuff that I like to read. Because once the thing is reported that this guy signed, then, like I said, everybody has it. And then you know, the next 12 hours are really just sort of trying to assess what does it mean to the organization as opposed to who had it first. You know, and there, there is, I understand there's a competitiveness and kind of an obsession in the industry, but to me, it wears me out a little bit, you know, trying to see it. And there's certainly professional courtesy and that sort of thing, but again, I don't know how much the average fan cares about it. You know, maybe it's more the writers that care about it. I think at ESPN, we really try to do that. You know, I think we're pretty diligent about that, more than some other places are, honestly. I think we're pretty good about trying to get credit for people who might get something first. What advice would you have for people who might like to pursue a career in sports journalism? It's kind of depressing now, honestly. I hate to say that, but I don't know that those same jobs exist anymore. There don't seem to be as many of them out there. And, you know, I think people need to maybe think about career alternatives and then do a blog on the side or that sort of thing and maybe it turns into something. Uh, if you're bound and determined to try to, to pursue a career in journalism, you know, I think you just, you probably need to go to school and you probably can major in anything. Write for your school paper, try to network and get to know people. There are places that have summer internships I think one of the things I would really try to impress upon people is, you know, if you can learn a second language, I think that's a great idea, especially if you want to cover baseball. I wish that I had, I, you know, I, did, I dabbled in learning Spanish on my own for a few years. I've gotten away from it maybe the last few months, but that's something I wish I had done because if you're bilingual, you know, I think, what, 30% of the players at least speak Spanish, and that really 
broadens your horizons and gives you better stories and more people to talk to. So I think that's, you know, something I would advise people to try to do. I think you have to try to pursue your dream if you love it and, and you can do it, but you also have to be prepared maybe for disappointment and lack of opportunity and think about other directions you can go in where maybe you can do some other things but don't try to write on the side and scratch that itch. I actually interned with the Green Jackets last summer, and I know exactly what you mean about Spanish and trying to communicate with players who are either may not know English as well or you know a little bit to get by. I definitely know what you mean there. Yeah, you know, I just started late, and I'm okay now. I, I certainly can can understand some of it, and, but I don't do enough of it. You know, speak it constantly enough to to stay fresh. You know, to stay sharp, but. I can go up to you know players and maybe strike up a conversation a little bit and talk to them a little bit, but it's a little too late. I'm not giving up on it, but I, I just see how difficult it is to do. If you weren't a sports writer, what do you think you might be doing? You know, that's a really good question. I think, you know, I think if I were to do it again, what I might have done is like plunge into a language, you know, uh, something crazy, Mandarin Chinese or Arabic or something, and. You know, you could be an interpreter, you could travel the world or work in an embassy, you know, that sort of thing. I think that might have been kind of fun. I do love the writing part of it, so I'm not really sure, you know, what else I could do, but I think something like that might appeal to me. You know, teaching, I guess, is a possibility, but, you know, I think something that involves languages and, you know, maybe traveling and being an interpreter or, or working in an embassy or that sort of thing. I think that might have been an interesting, different course from what I wound up doing. What was your favorite baseball team growing up? Well, I grew up in New England. I grew up in Maine. So I was a Red Sox fan when I was eight or nine years old. You know, the the Impossible Dream Red Sox with Carl Yastrzemski and that group was my team. So, you know, through my teenage years, I'd say... Uh, probably a Red Sox fan, and then when, when I wound up getting into journalism, not so much. You know, I, I just being a baseball writer, you just learn to be objective. And I don't know that I have a huge emotional ties to anybody. Oddly enough, since I grew up in Maine, my older brothers were fans of the Cleveland sports teams, and I don't know why exactly. But you know, I became a Browns fan, which is like a curse because horrible and it's like every year they're horrible and the worst year yet so you know and I think it would have been neat to see Cleveland win this year even though Chicago got all the the attention I I think you know if Cleveland had won it would would have been another team that really has suffered a lot and and deserved a reprieve so given my older brothers and my family I like to see the Cleveland teams do well but you know I, I root for good stories I guess that's what I would say you know and the Cubs are a great story this year Grew up in Ohio a little bit, and I know a lot of people who are Indians fans, and it was definitely a good World Series as far as just, like you said, two stories, two tales of two cities, really. Yeah, it was terrific. You know, it was one of the better postseasons and a great World Series. I wanted to cover the Indians pretty much all the way through, and that was a fun team and an easy team for people to root for.
I guess you kind of already went into this a little bit, but uh, are you as well-versed with other sports? Sounds like you follow football a lot. Yeah, I'm pretty good. You know, I covered uh, minor league hockey in the American Hockey League in the mid-'80s. I like hockey. You know, I was a Celtic fan uh, as a kid. You know, I really liked the NBA. Kind of got away from it. I still follow it now. not as much. like college basketball and college football. You know, I, like, I love watching golf, the big golf tournament. Not necessarily every golf tournament, but, you know, if the Masters has uh, a close finish or uh, the U.S. Open, you know, I'd love to sit down on Sunday and watch that. So, you know, I enjoy the Olympics. I'm pretty much into most sports. You know, auto racing, I can't say I'm too big on. Hockey, Stanley Cup finals, I, you know, the Stanley Cup month or two is, is pretty compelling viewing. But, uh, yeah, I would say I follow things to keep a pretty good eye on most sports. Basically, that pretty much wraps up everything. Uh, I was just going to ask if you had anything else that you might want to add that we didn't cover or something that maybe people don't know about you. Like I said, I grew up in Maine and New England, you know, where everybody's pretty passionate sports fans there. I've been lucky, you know, because I've lived in a lot of different parts of the country. I lived in Cincinnati and in Denver and here in Philadelphia. The only place I haven't really lived is the West Coast. But, you know, I think sports is a really good vehicle to bring people together and uh, get away from a lot of stuff. And the passion of it is what I love. And uh, even though it gets out of hand sometimes, you understand that it's coming from a good place. So I just feel really fortunate, you know, to be able to do something I love for the last 30 years or so, there aren't that many people who can say that, and there are a lot of days I sit in the park and say, I can't believe I'm, I'm getting paid to do this, and it, it, it's fun, and I, I'm, I'm pretty grateful, you know, I've had the uh, opportunity to do it, because there's a lot of really talented young writers now who I know might not have the same opportunity just because of the way the business has gone. Can't thank you enough for just taking the time to you know do this with me and just really exciting on my part to be able to talk to someone in your stature. And I appreciate your thinking of me and, and good luck with it. Have a happy holiday. Thanks, Jerry. You too. Really appreciate it.